It is a beautiful day in so many different ways. And it is a wonderful occasion for us to be together and to praise God and sing about our King and about the hope that we have in Him. Life is so very, very precious. It is a gift from God, a gift that is not to be taken for granted, and nor is it to be wasted either. Just think about it. There is beauty all around us that we are to admire. And there are joys that we are to treasure. And there are labors and endeavors that bring meaning and purpose to our life. What God created and what God has given us to do are good. It is, there is truly goodness in this life, in this world. But hardship and sorrow are also a portion of our world, the lives in which we live today. In Job 14, verse 1 and 2, Job says, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower who comes forth and withers, he also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Pain and tears and sorrow have become such a natural part or portion of our life. And in a sense, it's just something that we have accepted. It's the way it is. But if we are not careful, we... We may just forget that God had something better in mind. And God still has something better in mind than this world, this life, in spite of its joys, is filled with turmoil and sometimes it overflows with trouble. All the trouble in this world, all the trouble that we see and experience is linked ultimately to man's unbelief. And one way or another, it is linked to man's disobedience and man's sin. Go back to the beginning, Genesis 3. Because Adam and Eve, because Adam and Eve listened to another... Because they listened to somebody else and did what God told them not to do. Sin was committed. And then consequences followed. And as you read the unfolding of that divine record, you see that pain was multiplied. The ground was cursed. Labor became more strenuous. And the image bearers of God were separated were severed from their creator, and man began his journey to the grave. The wisdom of Solomon. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes you know, chapter three, 2, 3, and 9, if you go back and just consider very briefly some things that he writes, you think about Solomon, who has given and gained throughout his life this wisdom that gave him such insight. Unique insight into life's futilities. Life's emptiness, particularly when God is not at the helm piloting your life. 
So very briefly, let's, let's read these verses. You think there in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you know, beginning in, in verse 9, Paul, I mean Paul, Saul write, Solomon writes, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom also stood by me. All, my eyes desire, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. And thus I considered, I considered all of my activities which my hands had done and labor which I had exerted, and behold, all, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Drop down to verse 18, and thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows? Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? And yet, he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Turn over to chapter 3, pick up at verse 16. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there is wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. For a time, for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order to them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so does the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place, all came from the dust, and all return to the dust. One more. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. Solomon continues to write about life's emptiness, life's futilities when God is not there. When God is not at your helm piloting your steps. He says, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors. Neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. So you think about these excerpts from Solomon's writing from the book of Ecclesiastes. And what they do is they illustrate what Job centuries before concluded when Job said that man's life is full of trouble. Man's life is full of turmoil. You know, life's troubles and life's vanities are consequences ultimately of man seeking his own steps, his own way. Of doing what is right in his own eyes. If your life is all about the here and now, if that's what your life is, if it's all about the here and now, then darkness and hopelessness will consume you. Darkness and hopelessness will consume you 
if your life is just the here and now. Because you consider other passages found in the New Testament. We're told, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16, where it says, The outer man is decaying. Now, that's not the whole verse. But if, if all our life is all the here and now, that's what's in store for us. Our outer man, our body, is decaying. Or as in Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says, Your last appointment on your calendar... On your schedule is your death. And God knows when it is. That's what's waiting for you. If all you have is just the here and now, you're going to die. And your eternal sentence will be determined by the one who embodied grace and truth, but you rejected in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 When we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will give an account for what each one of us have done in our bodies. All this trouble and all this turmoil that's in our world and in our lives ultimately is linked to this concept of man's unbelief and man's disobedience and man's sin. And yet God... God has predetermined victory. Sadly, every man's battle, think about it, every man's battle is his own sins. It's with himself. Because man falls short of the glory of God. Man misses the mark of the glory that for which we were created. You know, Romans 3.23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And in Romans 6.23, we are reminded of the fact that you know, sin brings death. The wage of sin is death. But God's predetermined victory instead. But you think of the, the idea, mortals on earth destined to perish. If, if that's all that we are, if that's all that we have, mortals on earth destined to perish, that sounds to me like a losing battle. It sounds like a no-win situation. It sounds like a war without victory. But that's not what God planned. That's not what God predetermined. That's not what God foreordained. Sin and death are not the victors. But Christ is. Christ is our victory. The great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the great news of God's Son is that He died. Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins. And then was raised on the third day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes in verse 3, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Christ died, yes. In the mortal flesh, he experienced death, but then he was raised on the third day from that rock 
tomb. Out of what appeared to be defeat, Jesus rose to administer the crushing blow against Satan and death. And God had, had prophesied that in the beginning. When man committed the first sin in Genesis 3.15, as God addresses the serpent and reminds us that the seed of woman one day would crush the head of that serpent. And Jesus has. In Hebrews chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. What appeared to be defeat, God turned around and turned into victory. God, according to the Scriptures, crucified His Son, but raised Him on the third day. And according to the Scriptures, God, through His Son, crushed the head of that serpent. As also brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 21, it says, For since by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. Christ was raised. And Christ reigns in heaven right now. And Christ will put all His enemies under His feet and He will abolish death. God has predetermined victory. This world offers you Hardship and sorrow and death and pain. That's what this world and this life offers you. But God offers you something so much more. God offers you so, so, something so much better than what this life is. Because your soul, your soul will not be abandoned eternally in Hades or in Sheol. If you recall back in Psalm, Psalm 16, David, as he was guided by the Holy Spirit, wrote about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as he writes about that resurrection, he speaks of his own soul. And so he says here, beginning, I'm going to back up at verse 8. I have set the Lord continually before me, Psalm 16, verse 8. I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. David is saying that as he praises God, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to Hades. Why? Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. David underwent decay. He was prophesying about Jesus. Jesus did not undergo decay. 
But because of Jesus being raised from the dead, David understood that God was not going to leave him in the grave. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is full of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. Because Jesus crushed the head of Satan, because Jesus died and then arose on the third day, we will not stay in the grave. God will not abandon our souls to Sheol or to Hades, to that place, to that realm of departed spirits. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. God created Adam and made him a living soul. But that same verse goes on to say, the last Adam, Jesus, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Jesus was raised in the dead. Jesus has stepped on Satan's head, has made him powerless over death. And Jesus has power now over that. Jesus has the authority to raise all the dead from all times. John 5, Jesus spoke of this, of the authority, how the Father possesses the power and authority of life and death, and He's given that same power to His Son, Jesus. And so one day, one day, all will hear the voice of the Son of God, and all in the grave will come forth. Because God predetermined and God foreordained that there would be a victory. The righteous and the unrighteous, the believer and the unbeliever, all those who have died will experience and will partake of the resurrection from death. And will be clothed with the incorruptible immortality that is described to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you think about that idea of our soul being clothed with immortality. In verse 51, it says, Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Think about it. Adam and Eve are going to be raised up on this day. Methuselah. Methuselah, the oldest man that has ever walked on earth, we raised up on this day. Melchizedek, the one who foreshadows our king and priest, will be raised up on this day. And so will you, and so will I. We will all be raised up. By the power of Jesus Christ, because he died for our sins and then was raised on the third day. And in the end, as John writes in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 14, in the end, 
death and Hades will be cast into hell. God has predetermined this. God has foreordained this. God has planned this. God has executed this. And so the application is then, fix your eyes on that victory. Lock in your eyes on that heavenly victory that's available to you through Jesus Christ. There's so much hardship and there's so much suffering in this world which we can do nothing about. You and I cannot fix all the problems in the world. We can't take away hardship. We can't take away sorrow and pain. We can't eliminate death because we're not the remedy. We're not the solution. Our ways are not the solution. Now, we might be able to ease somebody's burden for a while, but we're, we are not the Savior. We are not the Prince of Peace. We are not the Redeemer. We're not the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And if we focus, if we just focus on all the misery that's around us, if we focus maybe even on all the pain and the sorrow that we experience in our own life, if that's what our focus is, what will happen is it becomes overwhelming. It becomes blinding to the point that it chokes us. It chokes out all the light. It chokes out all the comfort. It chokes out all the hope. But with our Lord's return, With Jesus Christ, the Son of God's return, there will be a resurrection of all the dead of all times. Now, it will be a resurrection of condemnation as well as a resurrection of life. Those who have done good unto resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. And so, yes, there will be a separation, but all will experience this resurrection. That the soul, the spirit that has been in Sheol, in the grave, in Hades, for however long it's been, will be clothed again one day with an incorruptible, imperishable body that's suitable for eternity. Depending how we've lived our life, though, depends what kind of resurrection it will be for us, though. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes about this day when the Lord will return and how it will be a day of judgment as well. And so you look there in the first chapter of his second epistle, and you pick up reading there in verse 9, speaking of those who will receive retribution because they do not know God, and those that do not obey the gospel. He says, these, in verse 9, will pay the penalty. And a penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power. And so that's the resurrection of condemnation. But on the other hand, the resurrection of life are those described in verse 10. 
when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who believe, for a testament to you was believed. Fix your eyes on victory. The victory is not in this life. This life will end in death. This life is full of turmoil and trouble and heartache and pain. But God wants you to have victory. So lock in your vision on that victory. The victory in the Lord. And like Jesus, Jesus who who completed, who endured his mission. A mission that led even to death on the cross. Of all kinds of death. One of the worst That was his mission. That's how it ended. But in spite of all of that, he endured all those things. How? But looking to the joy that was to come. So like him, like Jesus, we too need to look ahead. We need to lock in our vision on the victory that's found in Jesus. The victory that God has predetermined for us in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking about all those faithful ones described to us in chapter 11, with such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now listen. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to be more like Jesus. We need to lock in our vision, our sight, our eyes on Jesus, see how He lived, how He endured, how He overcame by keeping His focus on things above. And so we need to put away all of our entanglements, all of our sin that easily entangles us, and we need to run. We need to put away sin and run with endurance. There's a reason we're told to run with endurance. Because it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard to run this race of faith. But we have to endure the race. Knowing the eternal joy that awaits us. Fixtures on Jesus. And what did he do? With the joy set before him, he went to the cross. And with the joy that is set before us, let us put away our entanglements, and let us run with all of the endurance we have and cross the finish line with Paul. And as we do so, we need to do so knowing why we're running, what what your aim is. When you run, you need to know what you're aiming for. When you run, you need to know, know what it's worth to you, what's the value of it. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and you consider what Paul says again in verse 24 and 25 when he says, 
Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Run to win. You don't win if you quit. You don't win if you stop. You don't win if you throw in the towel and give up. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control in all things. Then he says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. We, an imperishable. We need to run, yes. And run with endurance, we need, but we need to know what we're running for, what we're aiming for, and what it's worth to us. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take self-control. It's going to take all of those things. But run to win. Knowing what's waiting for those in Christ. Paul lived and Paul served and Paul suffered with the resurrection from the dead in view. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians, verse 3 and verse 14, I press. I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul reflects on his life in that chapter. He lived a full life. And he lived a life of great service to others. And he had lived a life that was filled with suffering. But he endured and he kept the faith. He ran the race. And so there was a crown. A crown waiting for him. And he knew it. And knew it with confidence. Lock in your vision on that victory. The victory in the Lord. Because victory is assured to those who are in Christ. In Jesus is forgiveness. In Jesus is salvation. In Jesus is eternal life. Now we must devote ourselves to following Jesus. And we must devote ourselves in obeying Jesus. But in Jesus is our forgiveness. In Jesus is your salvation. And in Jesus is our eternal life. With that victory assured to you, Remember these words. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's the last verse of a chapter that speaks of the resurrection and the victory that is promised to those in Christ. Knowing these things, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. In the Lord's work, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The Apostle Peter writes similar words over in 2 Peter chapter 3, also speaking of the day of the Lord, a day of judgment and a day of glory for those found in righteousness. He says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, you're looking for that day to come. When you will dwell in the new heaven and the new earth, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Victory is promised you. And that victory is in Jesus Christ. 
And that victory is possible because Jesus died for your sins and he was raised on the third day and now sits at the right hand of God as your Savior, as your King, as your Mediator. To live without God, to live life without God is to live your life without peace and without hope. But living with God is a glorious victory waiting for you. With Jesus, we can overcome. With Jesus, we can overwhelmingly conquer. Because our faith in Jesus Christ, and our faith in His promises, and our faith in His righteousness, is victory. Victory. Do you want that victory? Clothe yourself and walk that new life. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, and you believe Him to be God's Son, and you believe that with all your heart, but you've not submitted and surrendered your will to His, you're still outside of Christ, and you do not have yet a hope of victory. That victory is in Christ, and you need to put on Christ. Will you confess your faith that Jesus is God's Son, and repent of your sins, and be baptized into Christ? If you'll do that today, he will add you to the kingdom, to the family of God. He will cleanse you of all your sin, and you will be a new creature in him. If you are a Christian, but you have strayed, you've erred from the path, and there's sin in your life that you need to confess and repent of today, I encourage you, make your wishes known while we come, while we stand and sing.